What's up, everybody? Welcome to Crypto with Coop. I'm Coop, and this is the spot for fun, informative conversations with influential people in the crypto space. And today, I've got a great one for you. I'm talking to Douglas Broughton. Doug is the founder and CEO of Vendable Labs. Vendable is creating a bunch of different tools built on the Algorand blockchain, including sovereign digital identity. We also discuss Trustable, which aims to create a secure, sovereign way for you to retrieve your seed phrase if you were to lose it. We also talk about privacy in general, folks, and how Doug made his way to Algorand, his past, and what he has been building and where he sees everything headed. It's a fantastic conversation, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Doug Broughton, the CEO of Vendable Labs. I'm excited to have you on, Doug. Thanks for joining me. No, it's great. I really appreciate it. I've been uh, a longtime uh, fan, uh, so um, it's good to be here. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Me too. We've met a couple of times, actually. I think Mm -hmm. we, uh, did we throw axes together? I believe we threw axe. Did we throw axes? We never threw an axe. I'll never throw an axe. No, I'll use an axe, uh, but safety first for me. Okay. So it wasn't here. It was, uh, it must've been in either Austin or Denver, but I, I know we've met a couple of times and had great conversations and we've been talking about doing this for a while. And now you're out there talking about how, you know, you can recover people's seed phrases in a cell in a sovereign way. Uh, we're going to talk all about vendable, the wallet, trustable, and you know, what you're doing with NFTs. There's a lot of cool things happening, but before we do that, before we dive in, why don't we just kind of go back and talk a little bit about you, how you got here, you know, um, and more specifically uh, to Algorand. Yeah, it's been a long road. So um, <laughs> my background is in mechanical engineering, and I didn't do that professionally. I went into corporate management uh, for a pretty big company for a very, very long time. Um, in my spare time, I, I did a lot of research, um, mostly in um, things that people would find really boring, so energy transfer systems. And uh, that got me into blockchain pretty early. Uh, so when, when Bitcoin first came out, um, mm-hmm. I heard, I heard the, you know, on the, the story on the radio about the person who bought the pizza with the Bitcoin, and I said, what is this stuff? And, and I looked at it, and um, it reminded me of this, this game that I had uh, programmed like back in 1985 in BASIC, where I had put this in-game currency in there. So I just wanted to know what it was about. And, and I was looking at it from an energy uh, perspective, like, could this thing scale? And I was like, man, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, right. And so... I, I just kind of watched the space and, and, and followed along and proof of stake came along mm-hmm. and I got pretty interested. All of a sudden I started doing energy calculations between what it would take to confirm a transaction, you know, in POS versus proof of work. And that led me to some open source work groups. And at the same time I had, I had really, it was, it was, the, my my days of large corporations were were over for for a while, and and so I had I had just, I had started working on my own like all that research that I'd done everything. I finally got brave enough to step out and, and start doing some things and and trying to make something happen. So 
it was it was either going to be blockchain or it was going to be algae um, mm-hmm. for food. Algae? And, yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Cool. I was I was working on growing um, spirulina in in unused warehouse spaces for food in in urban centers, and and so it was it was you know, I was looking at that, and at the same time. I was in a couple open source groups, uh, blockchain and identity and payments, uh, specifically mm-hmm. privacy preserving payments. And um, where I'm from, I, I live in the middle of, of the US and um, the way the food is grown is in rows and they, you know, if it's not, if it's not grown that way, they really have a hard time understanding any anything about you know the potentials and so i i kept drifting closer and closer to blockchain and so i got pretty deep uh in 2017 into one of the groups and uh, i was fascinated by this technology uh and i love the community aspect all these people coming together to support this build um and at the same time um i just I was, I kind of felt a little, um, I felt like something was missing. Um, and when I, I realized that it was every, it was, it was that there was just a small subset of, of people that was resonating with these projects and, mm-hmm. and it, all very technical people, like everybody, you know, if you either, you either get it or you don't at that time. Right. And, and so I started wondering where everybody else was because I thought this was amazing. And, yeah. and so I started really digging into why everybody else wasn't just on fire for this. And, and then that's when I saw the gaps and I started researching uh, what's called um, like technology adoption life cycles. Uh, and this exists not just in blockchain, it's in a lot of nascent industries. You have these early adopters and innovators that come in and they're pioneers. And, uh, you know, the rest of the population is either clueless, uh, they've never heard of it, or they're skeptical. And so they don't, they don't really, um, you know, adopt this until right. something, something happens. And, and it reminded me of, like, I've told this story before. So um, I, I mentioned that I had been programming that way, way, I was way too early. I should have been outside playing, and I was, <laughs> but I was programming and... And it's because I felt this real connection with the computer and I was able to create these things. And, mm-hmm. and I, I felt like I knew things that other mm-hmm. people didn't. Um, and back then it was DOS, right? There was not, the Windows wasn't a thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then I, I, was, I think it was my sophomore year of high school, I come into the physics classroom and everybody in the classroom is in the corner around, around our professor. And, and I said, what's going on? And, and windows had just come out and everybody was just, you could just see the look on their face. And were just amazed. And these computers right. had been around personal computers had been around and, you know, some people had them and you, you had your few floppy disks of games and stuff like that. But mm-hmm once that graphical user interface was there, that they bridged that chasm. And right. now all of a sudden everybody was on the computer. And in a way I was a little, <laughs> I was a little like, wow, it felt like 
my balloon had deflated. Like what I felt was like mine and not, you know, special. Yeah. Now everybody was just on the, everybody's on the computer. Right. Yeah. Um, and it didn't feel as special <laughs> anymore, but um, it was windows that like, you know, it bridged that, that gap. And so right. I, I started looking at what were the things that needed to happen to bridge this gap. And, yeah. and so that was like 2017 and 2018, um, formulating all these ideas. And, and then, um, you know, at the same time, Algorand's uh, white paper came out. And from, from day one, I was sold um, mm -hmm. because of the consensus mechanism. It went back to that for me. Um, mm -hmm. And I started talking to the Algo Inc. team, I think, really early 2019 uh, oh, about wow. Vendable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because, and like it was, we were both too early, right? So I was, right. I was, I had, you know, we had, we put this architecture together on a closed permission system, linking identity and data. And, and but I, I really wanted it to be open. Uh, right. You know, just like these groups that I've come from. And and so, you know, it it took time and and I spent time talking with banks and corporations about why, why are you why do you guys do what you do? Why do you have to, you know, what why, what are these regulations? Why do you have to do them? And I was really curious about why companies weren't building on Ethereum. Uh, mm -hmm. why they were building on Hyperledger and Quorum, these closed permission systems. And that's when, you know, all it's sort of everything kind of came full circle. Um, and um, between looking at compliance and privacy and data, I, you know, we, we essentially said there is a, there's a simpler way. And, and, mm -hmm. and what we know where like identity is this thing that, it's its own thing and, and you, you do this check and then you go in and you have it, you, you go into your service. And so essentially what we've done is we've coupled them together and so that right. you can't break them apart. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you do it without um, essentially showing that to everybody else. So like we can make a connection on chain and I know you, you know me, and we have a transaction, we should be able to see that transaction and know the assets and the amounts and stuff like that. But really, nobody else should know this. And mm. you really probably shouldn't know all of my other transactions and all my other assets in this. Um, right. Because no other real payment system works that way. And if, right. and, and so there's, you know, 85% of the population that would probably be really uncomfortable with this type right. of setup. And so, um, you know, that was a massive issue around privacy and then keys. That's another big issue, right? Oh, so, yeah. I mean, keys get lost every day, yeah. billions and billions of dollars gone. All right. Then we just yeah, can't get back. We see it. We see it all the time. We see it all the time on, you know, on Twitter, somebody in our own community, people losing their keys, you know, something happened to their computer. And I, I wanted to ask, well, first, um, you clearly are much younger than you appear. I mean, the way you're talking about, you know, at 1985 and, you know, so all of that. So there's that. That's a bonus. And then uh, another thing I wanted to ask you before we continued on to these products is, uh, 
is so when you found out about Bitcoin, you're like, okay, and you're into energy transfer, which I, I'm actually interested to know exactly, maybe not exactly, that would be probably a long conversation, but what um, energy transfer is. And the second part of that question is, is how do you feel about Bitcoin now and its energy, energy. usage and its uh, ability to scale? Um, so, uh, you know, I have friends that really love Bitcoin, um, <laughs> but you know, it's still, could you run a visa on Bitcoin and not, not a lightning network, not something on top of it, but can you, right. can you run enterprise level transactions on the layer one? And that, that to me matters. And, right. and so if it's a store of value, that's great. And we can use it as a store of value, um, mm -hmm. but can it go much beyond that? That's not to say, that's for their, their core developers to say. Um, right. I would just say as of right now, it's, it's fairly limited um, right. in, in, in its use. Um, but it does a, but it, but you know, it does a fantastic job. We wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that, you know, yeah. internet, internet transactions between unknown, untrusted parties is what got us to, to where we are. Uh, it's right. just now the problem is now we know each other, right? Because so right. many people are now using this, it's no longer unknown parties. And there's a, there's a big problem there. And yeah. I, maybe I'll skip over that energy transfer question, unless you're dying to to talk about it. Oh, but, we could um, talk about hydrogen <laughs> production and fuel cells, um, but it would probably bore a lot. Which, which actually, that that is a topic that I'm interested in. But what my first video was literally on. Well, I think it was my first video on this show was about hydrogen. A green hydrogen and fuel cells. But let's not. We don't need to do that. Um, but no, I will add. My, yeah. <laughs> but I will, I will say that, or I will ask, um, so you said that proof of stake get, got on your radar and that started to really draw you in. Which uh, protocol was it? Was it Algorand or was there something before that caught your eye? Yeah, so it was um, PIVX, P-I-V-X, uh, Private yeah. Instant Verified Transactions. So mm -hmm. they are an absolute pioneer in, in the space, uh, pioneer in privacy, pioneer in, in, in proof of stake. Uh, they're still one of the heaviest, heaviest developed projects in, in all of blockchain. Um, and, and I just, you know, really smart people working on that, yeah. Cool, so that drove you in. And then you started to realize, well, okay, well, all of these you're, you're thinking, okay, these private chains are something and you're working there, but then they're, what about these public chains and what, how do we get institutions on public chains? Is this part of the journey in your mind here? And then, so, okay, I, I do want to talk about that. Let's, but let's real quick, just a more general question when it comes to, you know, blockchain and some of what a lot of people might see as a benefit is the transparency of it. You seem to be, um, more interested in finding ways for it to be more private. What, what do you see as that kind of yin and yang of the transparency of blockchain, but also the need for privacy? What are your thoughts around that? You should have um, full transparency, 
but um, transparency doesn't have to mean full disclosure. I'll put it that way. So you should be okay. able to see every transaction. You should know what is happening, but Got it. I think everybody has an inherent right to privacy. Um, mm -hmm. They can lose that right, obviously, if they're a bad actor or, or whatnot, but everybody should have that right. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't, I think we give it away really easily. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, I think we're just start like at the tip of the iceberg for, you know, that it's, it's those, those types of things are, are really what kind of keep me up at night, um, mm -hmm. which is weird, but, you know, I usually look at the look at processes and I like to take them down the road. So like, what does it mean if we stay the way, if we're doing things the way we do right now, what does that look like down the road? And so from a privacy standpoint, businesses understand that open networks don't work for them. Like they can't, mm -hmm. they can't have a, a transaction between their trade partners on an open network and expose their address and like the state and activity of all their assets, right? So they have to, that's why they're building on these permission chains. But that also, but, and, and like, you know, 70% of Fortune 500 companies are looking into blockchain solutions or actively working on them. Mm -hmm. They're all on permission chains, which means that as a whole, that all of that early and late majority, the people who aren't in blockchain yet, are going to experience the technology in a much different way than we do right now if right. something doesn't change. They're all going to just have new custodians of their assets and, and so their nothing data. Changes. Nothing really changes. We What we end up with is Web2 with a blockchain database. And, right. and have we really Which moved we've... the needle? You know, or, no. Well, yeah, and which we've, which we've, that's nothing new, isn't it? I mean, isn't that, that's just, it would be, I mean, IBM has been dealing with blockchain for decades now, right? I mean, this is, these are things that have been around and people have been using it on some level. So what do you see as the societal good of these types of institutions moving from these uh, permissioned private chains to a public open source blockchain? So... The, the only way that I can sell them on it um, is uh, process improvement because <laughs> that's really <laughs> all they're going to be concerned with. Uh, and, right. and so I've had these conversations with some, some fairly good-sized companies and mm -hmm. that, that use Hyperledger and Quorum. And one of their, their sticking points is that um, most everything gets stuck in proof-of-concept stage. So... You'll put something together with a customer on one network, and then you'll try something with a supplier on another network, and they're having their own cross-chain data issues. And how do we get all this data that's in these servers and these clouds onto these chains? Uh, it's, mm -hmm. super, it's very confusing, and, and they're very slow to move. And what they've said is that we just need one set of standards. We need one open network that we can build on. And mm -hmm. so my goal from since about 2019 was to make Algorand that, that network. And so Absolutely. all of the, the privacy protocols, uh, the identification protocols um, were meant to transition companies from Hyperledger 
directly on top of that, right? Not a co-chain or anything like that. Um, mm -hmm. So that they could operate in the open, but still have their, you know, the, you know, all of the protections that they need. Um, and Algorand has the speed and the efficiencies that, you know, they, that they would be used to. So, so that's, right. um, you know, that's why that was essentially uh, the thesis for the grant um, that we applied for with the foundation in 2021. Okay. We, we rewarded that, um, you know, I guess May, May or June of last year, we completed that a few months ago. Uh, and then um, when we wrapped that, we had a, kind of our a recap meeting with the foundation, like the, where, where do we go from here? And, mm -hmm. and they said that they need accounts, which, you know, I agree. That's how you measure success on a layer one. And so mm -hmm. um, inter-trustable. Um, yeah. So we, we looked at all of our, our core technologies and mm -hmm. we said, what could drive the most Counts on Algorand, and so um, effectively, um, we private key protection for any any major blockchain network. Um, mm -hmm. You import your keys in, and mm -hmm. so we have that main identity account that you create on Algorand, and then for mm -hmm. each key that's imported, a new Algorand account is created that holds a little bit of Algo, a little bit of our token Vend, and uh, rolls all these zero knowledge proof circuits and encryption systems into this DID that's locked in this account that manages the keys and ties to your main account without exposing that on chain. So our goal is to essentially take all of these users from these other networks and bring them to Algorand, whether they even realize it or not, they'll have accounts mm -hmm. on Algorand. Uh, and, and, and then we've got, you know, the other, um, you know, the surprise project that we've got coming out that's also going to um, bring some cross-chain action as well. And so that isn't going to be announced today, is that? Or um, are we going to no, talk about? Um, I, yeah, I think I think we can. Well, we should talk, talk about, about it. it. Okay, yeah, so let me just that. let me unpack a little bit of uh, what you just said about trustable, and uh, you said DID, which is decentralized identity, right? Like a, that's mm -hmm. a yes. sovereign. That's a sovereign identity. So. First, and you also said, you, you know, I believe there's a KYC involved. I'm sure people are going to be interested in that topic. But mm -hmm. before we, we go to that, let's talk a little bit about decentralized identity, the importance of that and how you see that playing, you know, in the future. And, you know, there's this idea of, okay, we should own our identity. We should own our own data or we should at least be sovereign and we should um, have full control and be able to pull that control, right? And so mm -hmm. there is, but as it stands right now, you know, in Web two, we're constantly handing everything over, and um, and just uh, basically praying, you know, that everything's going to be okay. <laughs> it, it does. Yes. It does seem like that. <laughs> like it's just like okay, just so I can go on with my day. Here is everything that you might want, and then mm -hmm. now I have a whole bunch of new things coming through in my email or whatever. It, yeah. However, it's that minor or it gets, it can get much worse. But so what do you see as um, the most important part of decentralized identity and what that is going to play for us in the future as we move towards, you know, being more immersed in all of this? Yeah, there's, for me, there's two things. So um, reusable identity is, mm -hmm. 
is is a big part for me. So authentication services. Um, that that identity is like your anchor in Web3, and that can be reused again for different purposes across different applications. So for me, it's it's a very flexible framework to start with, regardless of what type of application that you're using. Um, but for me, the other the other big thing is data, uh, and so um, data is is like you said, it's it's everywhere, and and nobody knows where it really is. Even the people that are you know um, storing it aren't always sure where it is. And right, and so like you know, it's it's bleeding over into Web three. So you know, the majority of decentralized applications still use cloud storage or some yeah. sort of centralized storage. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we could have conversations whether those are actually decentralized applications or not, if the data right. is, is centralized. And, and then yeah. there's, there's, there are applications that are using decentralized storage like IPFS, things like that, but they build them in the same way as if they were using cloud storage. So the, the apps, are developers, the company, they, they own that data. Um, so we, we like to envision this world where that, that decentralized identity that is like this core anchor for, for your data as well. So mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, uh, a DID is really just a list of data attributes that attribute to you. And, mm -hmm. and so what we're doing is saying, okay, we can take this data, encrypt it, store it in decentralized storage and make claims mm -hmm. to it. So like this data belongs to me. And then we can provide tools for developers. So they can create their own data attributes. So when I go to sign up for, let's say it's a, let's say it's a metaverse application that just creates a 3D version of me. So they'd want to know my hair color, my height, my eye color. So when I sign up, it says we need to know hair color, eye color. And I'm like, yeah, 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 this is great. And so what it does is it creates these new data attributes for me on my DID. And mm -hmm. when I enter that information, it's encrypted, it's stored in decentralized storage, and it's attributed to me, not the developer. And so okay. I, I maybe come in and I create this little 3D figure and I look at it and I'm like, wow, well, I kind of look like a troll. I don't think I really want to use this. And so I, you know, I uninstall, I, I revoke access to this app. Mm -hmm. That app can no longer know my hair color, my eye color, my height because it was tied to my identity and I'm the one that owns that data. And, and so for us, we think if it's really going to be web three, the data needs to be owned by the user as well as the assets. So that's a, so, that's a big one for us. Yeah. And so well, what's, I mean, maybe this is a naive question um, or an ignorant question really, but what is stopping from somebody to impersonate being you in order to steal your identity? <laughs> This is, uh, so yeah, this was uh, probably the biggest, um, the biggest ticket item for us. Uh, okay. And it's probably what separates us from the other decentralized identity um, projects. So mm -hmm. um, we wanted, we needed to operate from a stance that each person is unique and mm -hmm. we need to recognize them as unique. Um, okay. and, and sort of respect their uniqueness. And so we use biometrics. So the, the whole KYC process in our wallet right. um, is, you know, 
people can, uh, it's, it's a natural tendency. And I have that same tendency when I, when I butt up against the KYC process and I'm like, Oh, I don't, why do I have to do this? Right. Yeah. And, and so we, we launched our, 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 our wallet in closed beta. We're still in closed beta. It's, it's mm-hmm. like our kind of our test bed. It's our like little innovation hub. Um, right. and, and the first thing that we needed to, we needed to realize, or, or we needed to learn from, from our customers is like, how can we, how can we take you through this verification process in a way that you understand that we actually don't care mm-hmm. what, what the outcomes of that are. We, we never see any of this information. What we're trying to prove is like, there's only one Doug mm-hmm. on, in the vendable network. Um, and that if I tried to make another account, my biometrics uh, would kick me right out and I can't make another account. And so, okay. because that main DID is like the anchor point. And so I can't have two anchor points because then I could start to game the system if I had more than one account. And so um, this way, like developers can build new types of applications as you couldn't do before. So like if you wanted to have a social network in Web3 and make sure that there were no bots, like that I, did, like I didn't create 15 accounts to upvote my own post, um, you know, to like somehow, like if it was a, you know, coin driven upvotes, like um, how would you do that? And, yeah. and so our, our uniqueness checks and, and our zero knowledge um, authentication services help ensure that I am who I say I am. You, you, will never, you may never know it's me, right? Because it, yeah. it could be a completely anonymous app, but at least you know in that app, you're dealing with an actual person. You're not, you're, it's, there's, no, there's nothing funny there. Got it. Well, uh, first off, I mean, it doesn't seem likely, but if Elon Musk does successfully buy Twitter, it sounds like he might be interested in some of this technology you're talking about, right? Yeah, it would help. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the bots, right? But yeah, um, so wait, where do, um, where does, uh, so when I, you know, I, I imagine I'm going to take a picture of my face and stuff like that, and then that's going to be how it's going to, it's going to mean that I can't set some I, that up again, uh, where does that data end up? Yeah, where, so who is a, who is like authenticating this? Yeah, so we are set up to um, partner with multiple identity validators. Um, okay. Right now, we we have a partnership with Onfido. Um, they're kind of a global leader in in biometrics and, and identity verification. So when people go through this process, they you know they do facial recognition and they 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 send the, the government document they make sure that these match and they do all their their magic stuff and so typically what happens in these processes is when that is complete that data gets sent back to the company so like it would be sent to vendable right. but in in our system this only this transaction happens between the wallet and on fido so the wallet sends this information Mm-hmm. On Fido verifies, it sends it back to the wallet and not us and says, yes, this, this, this is a unique instance of this person. And then the wallet will say, okay, now that we've done that, we need you to delete this information. So you delete everything except for the face and a key. 
And so um, that's necessary so that when we come back through any future verifications, we still need to make sure that it's, you're, there's no, you're still unique. And, mm -hmm. and it's also uh, the main recovery point uh, for, for Trustable, for the key recovery service. Right. Cool. And so just, and then we're going to talk about Trustable. And, but when, when it comes to privacy, you know, it seems, you know, governments like the U.S. government are concerned with that. They just sanctioned Tornado Cash and Monero gets a lot of heat. Um, I think they're looking at Zcash as a security. There was some kind of um, stuff going on with that. I mean, so clearly that's on their radar so how does your privacy system um, deal with that type of compliance? Because it seems to me, you know, obviously Algorand is created by Sylvia McCauley, um, zero knowledge proofs. And, mm -hmm. and the fact that that technology, I mean, is used in different ways, but it's not necessarily used for privacy is interesting. And I wonder if that's because of these type of regulatory concerns. So, yeah, yeah how does that work in, in, in your ecosystem? So, um for the, for the key recovery service, we want to make sure, like at all times, nobody could ever access that key except for you. Right? Got it. And so um, when we set up the accounts um, in this zero knowledge circuit that we, that we produce, um, there's a key share um, in this. And so Vendable has a key and, and this third party at tester we call the foundation um, is holds a key, but Vendable mm -hmm. on our own, we can't sign for anything and they can't sign for anything. Um, what we need in order to complete an actual signature to help retrieve a key is the actual person answering information that they have put themselves that, you know, we inside of the trustable app, um, we ask questions about yourself that only you would know, but you would right. never forget. And so those get encrypted and stored in your identity vault. So when you come for recovery service, it's biometrics first. We know it's you. We know you're alive. We know you're not under duress. And mm -hmm. then um, we ask you these key questions. And it's those questions that get in essentially inserted into the signature process that's the final um, signature to allow that encrypted information to come back to Trustable, unencrypt mm -hmm. in the wallet, and so you now have your keys back. And so we never saw them, we never anything. So that was super crucial for this product. Uh, and this is the way our general setup works. Um, if a developer wanted to, um, for instance, have a financial application where they managed accounts uh, for for consumers and they needed say they needed ongoing um like money laundering you know monitoring and things like that those things can be done through us so mm -hmm. because of our our partnership with onfido we can get these types of feeds if we need to uh there is a separate um setup process that uh we can go through whereby mm -hmm. it's the same thing as always um, so this is what we call the sovereign system you know that the first instance is is like kind of like really strong sovereign and then this is um the what we call the compliance sovereign system right. where like i said privacy is a human right and everybody mm -hmm. should have it 
and nobody should be able to access any of my data at any point in time. It drives right. my family nuts, right? When I rant about this, but they really <laughs> shouldn't, right? Like, it, yeah. like it's mine. Um, yeah. But but if I go out and I do something to hurt somebody else, um, or I I'm manipulating something, or I'm abusing something. I'm losing that right to privacy. Mm. And, and so we have a separate uh, encryption setup that um, you know, optional developers can put in place whereby um, it's really kind of the same process, but um, the multi-parties can step in and say, well, this person is clear, you know, there's a court order, this person is clearly you know, laundering money through this application or they're abusing somebody online and we just need to, we need to boot them out of this account, then they can, there's a threshold encryption system where multiple parties agree and it has to be multiple parties. It can't be just one party. There has to be a system and we mm -hmm. want to put a whole DAO type, um, you know, decentralized control structure around this uh, mm -hmm. because we don't think any, um, well, essentially, there's a threshold encryption system where, yes, it could hold that account, pause that account, freeze that account, and make those investigations. So you do have the compliance side. Got Me it. personally, in our, in our white paper, when it comes out, you'll see the, the first assumption of Vendable is that Vendable can be trusted. Okay. And the second assumption is that over time, Vendable cannot be trusted. Right. Because I don't know who's going to be running the ship 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road. So I, I don't trust that person because I don't know okay. that person. And so okay. we needed to make sure that in our architecture, like at the, at the core technology level, that over time, um, these control systems are decentralized and mm -hmm. it's very open and you can see any instance of this happening and there's decision-making processes so that, um, like I said, it's transparent, but at the same time, it's, um, you know, there's, there's controls there. So, Got it. yeah. So if somebody out there is like, okay, so I, I really want to use, I really want to use Trustable. I, mm -hmm. I have lost keys in the past. I know how that accident can happen outside of my control. You know, obviously there's catastrophic things like fire, but I mentioned, you know, maybe if you're, ill-advisedly keeping your keys in the, on the cloud or on your computer or however you're doing that, whatever, whatever endless different ways that could happen. Um, they're like, I want to use this, but so at first I have to, I do have to have some level of trust that there's not bad actors working at Vendable. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Uh, and so that's going to be our biggest hurdle, right? Everybody's yeah. going to say, we don't trust these guys. Uh, you know, <laughs> we know this, right? And yeah. I just, I just got through saying that I don't even trust the CEO twenty years from now. <laughs> yeah, so, you're like I don't even trust the whoever's here. Yeah. Guys. yeah. So, so it's going to be really crucial that, yeah. that we educate how mm -hmm. our process works. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have multiple like peer reviewed uh, papers that we that we push out that show all of our architecture and how we're structured. Uh, once we hit testnet, um, we're going to open source um, our, all, of our, all of our code so everybody sees exactly what's happening. It, because otherwise, um, you know, 
a lot of the early core crypto natives will never accept what we're doing. They, they just won't. They're also right. the ones that are losing billions of dollars, but they yeah. won't, but they won't accept us. Yeah. Uh, at yeah, the same they time. Have to, what's that guy? Is he in Scotland? Like he's how much money has he spent? I don't know if it's Scotland, but uh, trying to get access to like a dump Mill, or something. Millions digging through a dump. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Good luck, so, man. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, that's, so education is really going to be core to what we do. Um, it's, it's one of the reasons, uh, like our whole, like our marketing campaign is just education. Like this is one of those first forays into that, um, mm -hmm. getting to know not, you know, not just the company and like what we stand for and like we're people first and like that's really all we care about, but right. really um, understanding how the tech works. Because just off the top, it doesn't sound right. You know, mm -hmm. when you, you know, people haven't heard this, mm -hmm. they didn't. No, this is not a thing. You've got to be storing this somewhere. Mm -hmm. You've got to be. Do you've got to be doing something, right? Uh, and right. so we have to be able to show. No, we're not. Not only are we not, we don't want to. Um, yeah. And and yeah. So that's 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 our big. Uh, that's our that's, big push. It's, it's that's your being, big push. Yeah. And it seems it seems to me you know i'm thinking about this i'm thinking about vendable i'm thinking about the things that it could provide to me obviously that's you know that's i'm curious about that and this talk about decentralized identity and sovereign identity and you know being able to kind of have that and give people permission access to that i mean what is the what is the degree in which what i'm interacting with has to be uh compatible with this service, right? Like, is that going to, you know, am I going to be able to use something like this and sign into a centralized, like a Google, like Gmail or something like that? Like, is that, or is there going to be a lot of work in get, getting um, compatibility going? Um, for some things, it would be daunting to say the least. And, yeah. and then for other things, it's really simple. So, um, you know, like, uh, like I said, our, our, our wallet is a bit of a testing ground. Um, mm -hmm. Everything that we, we do relies on uh, those associated accounts that I talked about. So like these zero knowledge proof accounts that we create. And so we're constantly trying to test how can we use these to better protect ourselves online. And so like one of the next releases in the wallet will be, um, you know, a simple, like if I have a Discord account um, and I'm always participating in these airdrops, I'm always putting this, you know, my, my, my public address in, in these Discords. Why yeah. not just have an associated account that uh, it's just for Discord, right? Yeah. And, so, and so then you can just drop this in there and, and then, you know, we can... We can you it can go straight to that one and then we'll you know we'll have privacy mechanisms that route it back or you can go drop to a different address so these are the types of fun things that we'd like to think about and and work on uh, because we know those you know these things are needed uh, mm -hmm. so like uh, our like our vision is we're not really we're not really like competing with anybody uh, like we're, right, but, we're not even we're not even going to go out there and try to like take over the wallet market. Uh, right. It's much smarter for us to make some really simple, smart tools for wallets right. 
around authentication services, around mm-hmm. KYC, AML, if they ever need it, um, but also like the key protection system. Um, like it would be much simpler for us to, you know, if I'm in, I won't name any wallets, um, but if, if I open up my wallet and I create a new account and it just has a pop-up that asks me, would I like to protect this, you know, would I like to protect this key? And I just, yes or no, and I'm done, you know? Right. So those are the types of things that we would rather do, um, you know, Got it. work collaboratively. Like, uh, yeah. Bendable labs. It seems like you're and yeah. and you even said it, it's like a closed beta where it's almost your testing ground, this wallet for all of these different services. You know, mm-hmm. you seem you seem you know, you've said it a couple of times. You're very concerned about privacy. And I think a lot of people are concerned about privacy. So I imagine that you don't have a Doug dot algo um, wallet that you're constantly asking people to send shrimp to and things like that. Like I am. So, so first <laughs> off, I couldn't, I couldn't get Doug dot algo cause that was okay. taken before they ever went out. Um, okay. I was kind of, I was kind of hot, but um, no. <laughs> um, so, and I got, I got, um, I know some of your, some of the people here know uh, Jeff Malco. Um, so I saw him a couple months back and he absolutely roasted me. Um, he's like, he's like, he's like, why did you not register bendable.algo? And I was like, I was like, and he, he bought it for for me. Yeah. He bought it for (laughs) me and, and another, another friend bought bendable.algo on, on, um, on ANS and, and they're like, why are you not doing this? And I was like, well, Someday we'll show you our our architecture for privacy preserving domain names, and maybe we'll share that. Um, and maybe we've already discussed this, but um, no, it's yeah, yeah. It's a, we ran a contest, um, you know, earlier in the year where I just. I, I held up a sheet of paper with a public address and and the first person to tell me what the NFT was in my wallet won the NFT, right? And it took, it was less than a minute, you know, before somebody won because yeah. that's just how, that's the nature of, of, of the open network and it's great, right? Uh, but there's there's limitations. And so you just need to be aware of those things, you know. So right now, I know I know there's a lot of people out there listening. They've got the governance account, and they've got the NFT account, and they've got the Algo account for spending, and they've got this account, and this account. They've got all these different accounts. Um, what we're doing with our associated accounts is essentially automating that process um, in a way that you don't have to. You don't even have to. Quite honestly, you don't even have to write the seed phrases down. Uh, mm-hmm. As long as as long as you've got your main seed phrase. Um, or you, you go through recovery, it automatically regenerates everything for you. So, you know, you don't really have to worry as much. Nice. So that's, that's it, right? We want to take fear away yeah. from in the space so that more people come in. Well, that's right. And also in, based on what you were saying earlier, also some more institutions will come in as well. They're, they're, you know, like you said, this yeah. privacy, I mean, yeah. not that, you know, it's, it's true. As, as this gets larger, unfortunately, you know, big money, b- big players, or fortunately, unfortunately, however you see that, it's going to come if you want this to grow on, you know, mass adoption. They're, and, yeah, they're going to use blockchain. 
And so the yeah. question is, how are they going to use blockchain and what right. does that mean for our daily lives? Yeah. And, and so we're just like, we've put our, you know, we put a flag down and said, this is where we would like it to be. And, yeah. you know, how much, uh, how much benefit will that be? I don't know. It's hard to say. It's very early days. Um, we hope some people will listen and, and, and say, oh, there is a, there is a way, right? Because we've got, we've got full self-sovereignty, mm-hmm. which, which, is, which is fantastic. And hardly anybody wants to be fully self-sovereign because there's so much risk involved, right? Like who That's wants to be right. completely sovereign? Yeah, there's uh, there's some people, there's some people, but that is, that is, you know, there's something that I've said on the show uh, a lot. It's like, okay, be your own bank. But once you're your own bank, you've got to be your own bank. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's, that's, that's a lot of responsibility. There's a reason why banks exist and FDIC insurance exists because people don't want that responsibility. Right. And if, if we don't change something like structurally, then everybody else who could care less about the seed phrase, could care less about sovereignty, would go straight to the new custodians. And so whether that's banks that pick up, you know, key key services, um, or they just adopt blockchain on the back end and you never even think about it, right? That's probably the way it will go. Mm-hmm. Is that banks will just use the technology and and everything will still look the same, uh, yeah. and and like we said earlier, we're, we're not really moving the needle then. Um, right. So, yeah. and then my next question then is, you know, Algorand does have co chains, uh, you know, private private chains. What are your thoughts on um, that infrastructure and how people may use that? And I mean, because my understanding is is that there's still interaction with the main chain with those, like, how does, how is this working here? You, you have a grin on your face. It seems like you have something that this might was be the, This was the question I was hoping you wouldn't ask. <laughs> really? So, yeah. Uh, so, so, uh, um, That's so funny. If I It took me 50 that, minutes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. If, yeah. If Algo is still used as um, it's like a fee for transactions, then it's good for the Algorand main chain. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to look at who's running the nodes, right, in this co-chain. And it depends on the use case. So if I'm in, you know, if I'm in supply chain, and I only need to work with other suppliers, right? But I don't trust my other suppliers mm-hmm. necessarily because they're in countries that I don't, I don't have a lot of interaction with. Then a co-chain mm-hmm. makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, that, if that supply chain co-chain, though, moves outside of like that, that niche and starts to uh, issue like, payments and and so now we have users if it's not b2b makes a lot of sense for co-chains right but when you go b2c with co-chains turn around and look at who the nodes are who's running the nodes because Mm -hmm. whoever's running the nodes owns the entire network and they own all the assets and all the data on the network and so 
if I am interacting as a consumer on a co-chain, I don't actually own whatever it is that I'm, you know, because at any point in time, the nodes could agree to change the transaction. The nodes could agree to close my account. All, all All the fun things that we know today, like we experience from exchanges, right? We've seen exchanges quite recently. Yeah get to make decisions because as soon as I deposit onto an exchange, I actually no longer own that asset, mm-hmm. right? It says I deposited 100 algo, but mm-hmm. what it's saying is that exchange owns 100 algo and I have a credit for that deposit because they now own it. It's their keys. And, yeah. and so they can say, sorry, things didn't work out. Um, we'll see you in the class action lawsuit. Um, you know, yeah. so look to who's running the nodes if, if that's what it is. But I think it's inevitable um, yeah. that we're going to see co-chains and, and private chains running a lot of consumer systems. And, and it won't really, it'll kind of maybe look a little Web3, but it really really kind of be well and that's one of the main that's one of the main um concerns or criticisms i hear of people saying about cosmos right is that they have all of these you know have all these separate networks and then it's just up to how many validators or you know how many nodes are being run in there and it, it, it can be highly centralized case to case now i guess the argument for something like a cbdc is that of course they have to have control over the money and they need to be able to kind of do that, right? I mean, they're, a, a government's going to demand that kind of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why that, that's one of the main reasons why we created Vendable. Because we yeah. knew that was coming. And yeah. so that's, that's essentially, we wanted a, a third option, right? right? So sovereign custodian, we're like this, you know, it's either self-sovereign or it's custodian. We're just a sovereign system. Uh, because we believe that you can run a central bank digital currency directly on top of Algorand without a co-chain. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing preventing them. Um, we've we've shown that you know from an architecture standpoint, they can still have all of the the control that they need, but they can they can grant the privacy to the to the consumer uh, in, in ways that, that aren't here now. Um, and this is, you know, this may be a result of me, you know, being a bit of a dreamer. Um, Mm -hmm. but I will say that it's completely feasible because we, we've got a 90 some odd page doc that says it is. Mm -hmm. And, and so I would invite anybody to read it once we, we will, we'll be publishing this, write it when we start testnet. And okay. it's, it's a fantastic, um, very, very long read. <laughs> <laughs> and when, when is testnet? So we're going to run, um, uh, an NFT, uh, we're going to release a, a, a series of NFTs, mm-hmm. um, on, as a run up to testnet, because we have some, some touch points with Algorand, you know, people mm-hmm. have kind of heard of Vendable. They're not really sure who we are or what we do. Um, right. it's when they've heard it, it sounds a bit confusing. Uh, so, um, but, but we can at least, you know, we have some presence in the community, but we're going to be, you know, selling our service to all the other major networks. So we've come up with this novel concept 
um, mm -hmm. around a utility token um, oh, yeah. that we're, that we're going to release on um, four different networks. So we're going to release this NF it's, it's, it looks like an NFT, but we call it an X NFT, uh, okay. a, a cross network fungible token. Okay. And so essentially it's utility token mm -hmm. and it has the exact same utility um, discounts, rewards, incentives, regardless of what network it's minted on. So inside okay. of our inside of our ecosystem, inside of our application, it has same utility, and we can prove that it has the same utility because you'll be able to take uh, an NFT from Ethereum and the same level of NFT from Algorand and merge them together and kind of craft the higher level NFT on the network of your choice. So we can oh, cool. like unequivocally say, yes, these have the same value. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's a bit of a, you know, we have a, we want to see how this plays out. We're curious, you know, because um, there'll be price differences between right. networks. And we're curious if people will exploit that. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and how, what we really want to see is, will this drive exchange to Algorand marketplaces? Like yeah. that's, that's another goal. Because once again, our goal from foundation said, we'd love more accounts. And so we want to bring all these NFT traders from other networks into Algorand and yeah. start interacting with us. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Oh, and, and there's a good cause behind it. So yeah, I'm looking forward well, to it. So oh, the, the good cause is what, what's the good cause before I move on? Um, so no, I'm not moving no, on, but I want to... Um, Drawing attention to and 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 trying to combat air pollution. Oh, so, cool! Yeah, I need that. I'm in Los Angeles. That would that's coming. In, that would come in handy over worst. here. Yeah, we're we're working on <laughs> um, on several potential partnerships um, cool. to come out of this. So part of the um, part of the you know the purchase price and 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 the royalties will go to this. Mm -hmm. um, so a couple of initiatives we're looking at, uh, but so like. Purchasing them, trading them, crafting them, all this stuff will help clean air in the real world. Um, mm -hmm. And so in the series, we've got this city that we've created called Ibble. Um, like, I guess if you guys have now that we're now that you see Trustable, um, mm -hmm. it ties into Vendable, that IBLE um, also ties into fungible, non-fungible. So it kind of uh, it's kind of a concept of ours. But our city is covered in smog, so like this first NFT looks rank, like horrible. Mm -hmm. um, just, just like Los Angeles on a, yeah. on a when, when there's no wind, and right. and so all these level ones heavy smog, and then when you craft them to this higher level, you, not only do you get more discounts and rewards and um, some pretty cool, um, you know, passive revenue. Um, mm -hmm. but you take a little bit of the smog away. So you get to see a little bit more of the city. And so you merge up until you have this crystal clear, beautiful city. Cause so you've helped to, you've helped to clean the city, you know, the evil city out of, uh, you know, the air there and, and, and you've, you've done some good in the real world too. Oh, that's cool. And so you're helping clear the, you know, you're getting your NFTs smog is going away as you contribute to removing smog. <clears throat> And I also imagine as you have a clear skies NFT, there's more utility in the, mm -hmm. in, in the ecosystem. Yes. So yeah. um, bigger discounts, um, you hit higher levels, you can start to rent this out. 
so other people can get discounts. Um, oh, that's cool. There's once we once we turn the the light on for Mainnet with Trustable, um, mm-hmm. we're gonna uh, a lot of the profits are gonna go into a DAO, and mm-hmm. and so there's a treasury there, and um, every so often the DAO can take a percentage of that as a dividend. Um, oh. So so if you hold Vend, you, anybody who's using Trustable will have some Vend because they can lock it. Each little account locks a little bit of in. So you, you're a tiny governor. You can always obviously add more, uh, mm-hmm. but the treasury is algo, Bitcoin, Ethereum. So you guys get to decide how you want to trade this, invest this, um, you know, spin off companies, whatever you want to do. Um, and then if you want to issue a dividend, you can do that. So the, these higher level NFTs also get like dividend bonuses and things like that. Okay. So, so- and I don't think we actually made this point, or maybe we did, but when you talk to the foundation the second time and bring in accounts, it just, you know, and I don't know if we talked about this earlier, but this is something that anybody can really use, right? I mean, mm-hmm. a Bitcoin guy on Bitcoin can use the uh, trustable to recover yes. their phrase and they be using Algorand and they don't even necessarily need to know that they're using Algorand. It's just no. a isolated service they'll be paying in bitcoin and i see that you and it just occurred to me i'm seeing the shirt that you're wearing yeah (laughs) they may come in handy at this point right Um, is there (laughs) it wouldn't hurt okay all right all right okay they're good good people they are good people that is for sure um all right so you know, and we haven't talked about this, but you did give me a peek at the light paper. Has the light paper been released? Have you have you just if that out? By the time this airs, I believe yes. Yeah. yeah so and, and cat will be out of the bag by then. Yes. In the paper, and be I know I know we're uh, running a little long. I hope you're okay on time. Are you okay on time? I'm good. By the way, I'm good. Yeah, you're yes. good. So there is you're doing some interesting things with the marketplace and NFTs. Mm-hmm. Why don't you help me understand that a little bit? Yeah, so um, going back to the, the like the labs, the laboratory that we've got going, um, and going back to privacy again, um, we've we were just looking at the NFT space and and seeing what's missing and where is there a big gap and and for us, it's it's lack of ownership rights, so. Um, We've seen where people launch a, a collection and then people people will just copy paste these and then they'll go mm-hmm. over to another network and and they'll put them on a market. A hundred percent. And and yeah. make you know yeah you know, well, and, and and also and, you know that well that for sure but just to, sorry to interrupt but and just the whole joke that people make that. Um, are down on NFTs is like, all right, right click save. Great, bro. I'm glad you paid $365,000 for that picture of an ape. Yeah. Yeah. So what we've developed is, um, so we spoke about the encryption systems and how data is tied to our our decentralized identifier. So um, we have a, a marketplace solution where creators encrypt their artwork first and then it's stored into decentralized storage and it's attributed to their DID. And so the only, the only person that can view the original is the creator inside of their application. Everybody else sees a second image. So we create a second image with a watermark version 
And then that is what's put into the metadata that can be seen across marketplaces and this and that. So, so that, um, you know, there's some, there's some protection here. And, yeah. and in this marketplace, um, we, we track downloads and screenshots and the right clicks and things like this. And we add that information to the metadata. So when you're looking at a series of like a collection, if you've got like, you know, you're comparing two of these assets and one has never been downloaded, never nothing, it's clean. And, and the other one maybe, maybe has more rarity and attributes, but it's been downloaded 50 times and, and, and all this. You get to have a new discussion around value where yeah. you didn't before. And so the big trick was the encryption systems. Uh, so when, when you sell that, um, yes. removing, removing the right of the creator to see the original and then giving that right to the, the new owner, uh, yeah. but that's all, that's all done. Um, fantastic team. Uh, really mm -hmm. can be any prouder uh, of these guys. Um, I got to say, that sounds really interesting. Is that, does, that doesn't exist, huh? Is that not out there as far as you know? As far as we know, no. Um, yeah. No. So yeah. this is, so we'll be looking, once again, we'll be looking to um, not partner with other marketplaces and, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put our own out, but we'll be very, we'll be very niche because once again, we're not in competition. Uh, right. It'll be a curated marketplace. So mm -hmm. um, we'll work closely with some artists and, and put some special collections out and, and do a few things of our own. Um, mm -hmm. But, but it's really like, once again, it's, it's a testing ground because um, I know I could talk for another 30 minutes uh, and bore everybody about steganography. Yeah, um, don't do that. Which I is, don't even know what that word means. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's an, an it's a type of, um, it's like a watermark that you don't see. It's, oh. you're, so you're changing little bits in the file. Mm -hmm. So um, changing a few bits so that we can track um, the, the address, the, the owner of the account. So if we put the address of the owner in there, <clears throat> sorry, and then it changes hands and mm -hmm. we update the, the bits a little bit. So the new address is there, but then... But then all of a sudden, the new owner sees their NFT out on Google. Then they can take that, they can run it through our system, and they can say, it was this account that released this. Mm -hmm. So you can go talk to them about why, they, your, why your $100,000 NFT is now all over Google. So Interesting. We, can have new we can have new conversations. And it, and it reduces all of that because there's a, just a, like I said, energy transfer is like a big deal for me. Mm -hmm. And, and you can see in discord and stuff, so much energy is spent like trying to mm -hmm. prove like this is the true asset. Right. Mm -hmm. And here's and the fakes and all this talk and all this, it's so much expended energy when we should probably be doing some other things. Um, and you know, that was a that was a pretty epic callback, Doug. I got to I'm not going to lie. Like you brought it back to energy transfer, the thing in the first 15 <laughs> minutes that we talked about that we never actually addressed. And then you <laughs> and you brought this all the way back at the end. So energy transfer is this is exactly what it sounds like is the mm -hmm. amount of um, 
energy you use or, mm-hmm. you know, so well, break down in the most layman way you can what energy transfer really is. Um, so in that instance, it's work, right? So yeah. um, mental energy is, is burning. It's, it's like chemical energy expended into electrical and things like this. So if we really get to a biological level, I could be expending a lot of calories, combing through all these discords, combing through all these marketplaces. And this is energy that could be used for other things to benefit myself, benefit those around me. Um, it's the same thing with the, with the wallet. So in these associated accounts where you don't have to worry about the keys, like rather than have to worry about this seed phrase for this governance and this seed phrase for this NFT and this and that, we could just automate those things, have protections in place, and we could just we can, can live our lives. And, and for me, um, that's kind of a driving force is to just uh, have a bit more peace uh, and, and comfort and, and focus on some things that you know, really, really matter. So what you're saying is the fact that I had a third child, now that energy that I'm spending there, it, I'm, I could have been doing that. I see, I knew this. I knew this instinctively. I was like, okay, this is going to, this is going to make things harder. And I was right. I was definitely right. So that's what energy transfers. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, I feel pretty good about this. It was really exciting, uh, really cool to learn about your journey and see, I mean, you've been in the Algorand ecosystem for so long and from 2019 working on privacy and identity and now with Trustable um, helping people recover their seed phrases and all these really compelling, you know, zero knowledge ways. And so, um, yeah, I'll be tracking this. I'm excited to, you know, learn more. And then, so you said testnet is coming soon, right? We talked about this earlier, but. Yeah, we'll, we'll run the, the NFT series across mm-hmm. Algorand, Ethereum, Polygon, Solana, okay. and build that, build that group. We already have a, a pretty large waiting list for, for our beta wallet. And so for all my beta wallet folks, I love you mm-hmm. guys. Thanks for hanging in there as we, as we do the hard work. Um, so they're going to be in testnet and everybody in testnet. That's, that's how VIN is going to be distributed is through oh, testnet. Yeah. So if you want, if you want the token, you've got to oh. be in testnet because there's no inflationary mechanisms with, okay. with our token. You have to participate with us. Once right. again, energy transfer, you have to participate actively with us and promote yeah. us if, if anything comes out. And, and so, um, yeah. Um, so you're gonna have so to put it to work. There and, yeah. You're yeah. gonna have to earn, you're gonna have to earn that token. And the token, if I remember correctly, there's uh, 1 billion, 200 million um, yeah. vend. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like you said, so the, the place to earn the vend token is in test that. That's, yeah. that's where this is gonna begin. And um, is there going to be a sale or anything like that that follows Testnet, or is that it's, there will it's be? Never- there was a so we had a we had a token seed round, so there was mm-hmm. a private funding round, and then we'll distribute then um, through through the the beta participants in the wallet and uh, everybody that participates in Testnet, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're we're kind of excited about the the tokenomics here because. Um, each time anybody purchases um, a key protection, uh, then it we're taking we're not taking bend out of like some treasury or something and like inflating the supply. We're taking it off an exchange 
and oh. locking it into this account for the lifetime of that subscription. And okay. so um, pretty deflationary. And, yeah. and so, and, and that's going to extend to all of our products because all of our products run on these associated accounts. So if, if a developer creates a, you know, some, some new application with our service, then Vin will start locking in all of those as well. So, yeah. Um, I mean, that, I mean, that sounds great. Right. So there's going to be, yeah, there's going to be constant buying pressure on the token mm -hmm. and the more successful Trustable is and your other products, however, that's going to evolve is going to just be locking up more and more of the token. So like you said, deflationary rather than inflationary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely. It. That's what you said. That's what you said. All right. Well, is there anything else that we left out? Uh, where did you, uh, is there a discord that people should be going to? Is there a telegram, a, you know, follow you on Twitter type of situation? We have all those <laughs> things and we would love it. Um, yeah. I'll put, you know, how about this? Instead of you having to say all that, what I'll do is I'll, I'll put it in the description of this video. Yeah. How's that sound? Uh, yeah. As, as somebody who um, is into privacy, I'm also not really great at social. Um, yeah. So, I, but we have some wonderful people uh, yeah. that are ready to, to talk with everybody. Cool. I, I definitely noticed, I think it was on your Twitter account. It was, I think in your description, you say, I can't believe I have a Twitter account. No, I mean, I didn't, I had no, the only social presence I had prior to Vendable was a, an account on, um, on a platform called ResearchGate, where people mm -hmm. share academic papers. And, and that was it. Um, I was forced into LinkedIn against my yeah. will. And, yeah. and now I'm forced into Twitter. Yeah. And, and so um, okay. I try, I'm not really great at it. Um, and, and my team laughs at me a lot because uh, yeah. I don't know about those things. So, yeah. <laughs> well, at least you have a team that's able to help, uh, you know, help you through that. Oh yeah, they're great. They're great. Cool. Yeah. How big is your team, by the way? Uh, we're getting larger all the time, I think. Um, so I think we're at 12 people now okay. so yeah cool. we've we've got uh we're pretty spread out uh and pretty balanced um mm -hmm. seven developers and then um you know then our our community and business dev team so yeah. cool all right well thank you for coming on yes thank you so much i really appreciate cooper